Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We've been reading from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and uh, I'm reading this from the message. I particularly like the way that the message writes this out. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus. In a world that is full of shiny things that we could look at, in a world that is full of things that can divert our attention and, and, and make us look here and make us look there, the author says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. And it says, study how he did it. So how did he do it? I mean, there's a right way and a wrong way to do just about anything, and there's a right way and a wrong way to go through a dark day. There's a, there's a good way and a bad way to experience the pain and the trouble that we are going to experience in life. It says, study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. There is a lot of hope in that verse as we look to Jesus. There's a lot of things out there these days that want to steal your joy and want to steal uh, your, your, you know, your good vibes when it comes to Jesus. A lot of things out there that want to steal your hope. Let me just say this. There's a lot of things out there that want to make you afraid. I was with my parents this weekend and, and, um, when I wake up in the morning, mom's usually beating me awake, and, and when I get out to the living room, she's already got the television on, and she's got it on one of those morning news programs. And I, I looked at her Friday morning, and I said, Mom, you guys need to turn that off, because it's just fear. They're just trying to make you afraid. Everything is designed to, to, to put fear in us for some reason. And, and listen, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't let them be diverted to anything else. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We've been saying that a lot in the last year, and I really think it's the key to uh, getting through everything that we're trying to get through as, as humans and as a country and as Christians. Jesus is, in this series, we're looking at these sayings that Jesus says as he hangs on the cross in the most difficult moments, probably of, of all human history, uh, because not only is he taking the pain of the cross physically, but he's also doing something spiritually and he's taking a, a spiritual pain as well and I don't even think we can understand what Jesus went through from that standpoint but for the past two Sundays we have learned some great lessons from these sayings of Jesus off the cross how to uh, get through a bad day how to have light in the darkness on in week one the lesson we learned from Jim Hansen was when you're in the darkness when you're having a dark day a bad day one of the things you need to do is, is you need to forgive everybody who means you harm. And we hear that and we're like, you know, I, I say this every time I talk about forgiveness, but when we start talking about forgiveness, the walls just go up. Like, no, Brett, I don't want to talk about forgiveness. I don't want to forgive that person. They've been mean to me. They've hurt me. I'm not going to forgive them. But Jim did a great job just talking about how, you know, when you refuse to forgive, what you're really doing is you're putting weight into a pack, and, and the only person that hurts is you. You're the one that carries that around. I was having a conversation with somebody this morning, and they said, you know, a lot of times when people hurt me, they don't even realize they've hurt me, and I get mad at them, and they don't know I'm mad at them, and I'm only hurting myself. Exactly. So that's the lesson that, that Jim taught us, was just forgive the people who who mean you harm. The lesson we looked at last week was this idea that when you're in the darkness, you need to look around for fellow strugglers. You need to look for other people who are in the darkness, and you need to share whatever light you've got 
in their direction, to help them in their darkness. And what happens is when you help someone else, oftentimes that helps you. It, it, it makes things better for you. How can we help? How can we get our eyes off ourselves and get our eyes on someone else? Because let's just face it, a lot of times when you're putting your eyes on somebody else, you're putting your eyes on Jesus. Jesus said, when you do this for the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so when you're helping somebody else, really what you're doing is you're helping Jesus. Today we're going to look at the third statement in the Gospel of John. And this is a, a kind of an interesting, you only find this statement in the book of John. And, you know, we talked about this idea that, that uh, the, not all of the seven statements that we're looking at in this series can be found in all four of the Gospel accounts. And whenever I try to explain the Gospel accounts to people, I talk about four different men with four different perspectives who wrote about what they know about the life of Christ. Some of them were eyewitnesses. Some of them interviewed people and wrote down what they learned. And so they've got a perspective, and they write from that perspective. John <clears throat> is the only one who includes this, the, the line in the, this, the, of the seven sayings. John's the only place where you will find what we're looking at today. And it's not hard to understand that. Uh, John writes peculiarly anyway. We're, I'll point that out to you in just a moment. You'll see what I'm talking about. But, you know, if... It, I said last week that if, if you were writing one of the gospel accounts, uh, uh, you know, about, about maybe a, a, one of our elders, and you had been, let's say you were adopted as a child, and you found out that that particular elder had been adopted, that might be something that you would write about because you were connected to that. And so um, the reason I think John includes this in his gospel and, doesn't, and none of the other gospels have this is because it, it directly involves John and it happened to him it's his part he's part of the crucifixion story and so he's going to include that in his account um, so we're going to look at John chapter 19 verse 25 through 27 and this is a moment like I said that involves John the context of suffering um, for Jesus in this particular moment is incredible but Jesus has these words and he's speaking these words to the people that are gathered around the cross now one of the things that you need to understand about being there at the cross, um, you know, and when we, I've said this before, when we see this in movies or in, in artwork, a lot of times the perspective is it looks like Jesus is high up, like he's lofted up on a cross. But the, the fact of the matter is that, that it's probably closer to the truth that Jesus was fairly low to the ground because it, part of crucifixion was shame. And they wanted people to, you know, be able to approach them as you hung on the cross and taunt and, and you know, people would be spit upon. And um, usually when you got crucified, we talked about this last week, you know, usually in art there's some kind of loincloth or something wrapped around. But when you, in real life, when you got crucified, you were naked. And so um, just this horrifying scene and Jesus is there between these two uh, criminals and and there were some Jesus followers that were there present as Jesus is dying on the cross. Now, you just need to understand that if you're a Christ follower, that's a dangerous place for you to be in those moments. For you to be close to Jesus as he's dying on the cross, that's a dangerous place because the Romans are there, and they're the ones that, are, that have you know, executed this, this person. And, and the, the religious officials, the Jewish religious officials are there, and they're the ones that are really driving this. And they were looking around for other people. And so if you're close by, you, they would make the assumption, oh, he, he's one of his followers, and that might not work out that well for you. So to even be close to Jesus in these moments is, is a dangerous thing. 
But it says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, just look at that passage for a minute and tell me whether or not there are three women that are being talked about there or four women being talked about there. And I, when I read this, I went out and did a, a, a study for about 45 minutes just on this one verse trying to figure out, okay, how many women are we talking about here? And uh, what I found out is that we're really not sure. It's, it's, uh, I, I got into, you know, trying to figure out Greek, what's going on, and um, not really sure. But there, there's at least three, and it looks like all three of the women are named Mary. So that's kind of interesting. But verse 26 goes on to say, When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom Jesus loved standing nearby, that's the peculiar way that John writes about himself. He doesn't name himself. He refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Or he'll refer to himself, you'll see it in a minute, he's going to refer to himself as this disciple. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom Jesus, whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, that's John, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now just think about the situation that that, that Jesus is in, he's been arrested, he's been betrayed by Judas, someone he thought was a very good friend. He's experienced a mock trial. It should have never happened. It was an illegal trial. It should have never taken place. He, he's, he's, he goes through a brutal scourging, cat of nine tails. I've documented that many times in here. Very bloody, very painful. A lot of men died. They, never, they didn't live past the whipping post. Like they, they, just, they would die and they'd drag them off. That was it. He gets, he gets hit with the, the cat of nine tails, 39 lashes, body just completely broken down. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Your, your head is a very vascular part of your body, so the blood would have been profuse. I mean, just a lot of blood loss. You can just imagine what this does to Jesus' body. Then he gets turned over. After hours of this kind of treatment, he gets turned over to the Roman soldiers who carry him up the hill or walk, march him up the hill of, of Golgotha. To be crucified. Now they refer to this hill as Golgotha. I've got a little video that I made to try to show you why. Um, they they used to see the skull in the side of this hill, and I've tried to take a skull and kind of point out where they think they they, they would look at that, and they referred to this hill as Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Uh, we call it Calvary. We call it the hill of Calvary, and many people think that that's the hill upon which Jesus was crucified. And so now. Everything around Jesus is about suffering. It's about pain. It's about horror. The level of trauma that's taken place in the physical body of Jesus is beyond description. We get the word excruciating from the word crucifixion, and, and it was just uh, torture. It was uh, designed to be torture. I've said this many times in here, but the Romans did not invent crucifixion, but they perfected it as a torture mechanism. That's really was the goal. The goal of the Romans was when they crucified you was to keep you alive in pain as long as possible. That was the goal. And, and so this is what he's going through it, it, when, when all this is going down and he's going to be saying these words. But now here's what I want you to notice about this. In the middle of these horrific circumstances, in the middle of this personal pain of Jesus, Jesus has the vision and the compassion and the wherewithal to look out and look beyond his pain 
and to see people in the crowd. And he notices his mother, and out of all the pain, he looks through the blood, he looks through the sweat, and he, he thinks about her future. Now let me just state the obvious. <laughs> I'm not built like that. I doubt you are either. I, I really don't think that uh, if I'm going through what Jesus is going through, that I would be thinking about anybody else other than myself. I think I would be so focused on my pain and what I was experiencing and, you know, feeling bad about me and my experience and my circumstance. And here's what I can tell you. If this brother's going through pain, I'm going to make sure you know about it, right? Isn't that kind of how you are? When we get in pain, we want people to know we're in pain. I mean, I know some tough guys that don't really let it show. Most of us, though, when it hurts, we want somebody to know it hurts because we need a little attention. We need somebody to care. We need somebody to put their arm around us and let us know. We need to know we're loved. You know, it's all right. It'll be all right. I don't think I'm alone in that. I, I think most people, when we, when we experience pain, that's what we're looking for. Not Jesus. He's not thinking about himself. He's, he's got his mind on it. I mean, we learned from Jim in the first week that, that Jesus spoke the words, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Who, who thinks like that? Who thinks like that in the middle of what Jesus is going through? Only Jesus. And so Jesus, on his worst day, in the middle of his worst pain, isn't lashing out at those who are hurting him. He's not trying to get revenge. He's not shouting insults and, and being snarky from the cross. He's not doing any of that. He's got his mind on healing. He's got his mind on hope. He's talking to his mother. He's talking to John and those who are closest to him. And our lesson today, the third saying from Jesus from the cross is this. When you're going through a bad day, when you are in the middle of your darkest days, be sure you have taken care of those near you. When you're having a hard time, be sure that you are taking care of those near you. You say, Brett, why is that a big deal? Here's why. Because usually when we go through pain, we tend to wound those who love us. We tend to hurt the people who are closest to us. It's kind of a habit. It can become a way of life. We transfer the trauma that we are experiencing, and we want everybody to know what it is that we're going through, and we want everybody to feel it with us there's a saying that counselors used. I've used this many times. I've probably said it from the stage, but hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And this is well documented. We've talked about this many times at Cross Lane. This, is, this could almost be a core value for us. I talk about it so much, but it's not a matter of if the wind is going to blow in your life, the wind of adversity. It's when. It's, it's going to happen. Bad, bad times, darkness is going to visit your life at some point. Not a matter of, you, listen, nobody gets out of this without, without some pain. Nobody goes through this without some darkness. Nobody goes through this without some bad days happening. It's just inevitable. And throughout life, we're going to experience bad days. doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what sex you are. It doesn't matter what race you are. None of that stuff matters. Married, not married, you're, you're going to experience bad days. It, it may be different for somebody that's 13 than it is for somebody that's 35, but let's be honest. A, a bad Snapchat for a 13-year-old can be just as bad as your day at work when things don't go well when you're 35, 45 years old. Right? We all have bad days. We all go through things, and we think it's easy for us to think, man, this is the end of the world. I don't know what I'm going to do. This is a darkness like I've never known before. 
Bad things happen in life. We, we fail exams. Our football team <laughs> loses. We get a toxic email. Somebody gets upset with us. We go through moments where we feel like we're being ignored. We go through moments where we're annoyed. Your car breaks down. You lose your phone. Your computer crashes. You're in a slump at work and you just can't seem to get anything right. We go through these things. Bad things happen to us. Sometimes it's as easy as we just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Somebody looks at you and says, hey, what's your problem? You say, I don't know. I just, I just haven't felt right all day today. I've just been in bad mood. I'm just in a bad mood. I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And then that bad mood stalks you for the rest of your day. And a day that could have been a lot better is a pretty bad day because you have allowed your bad mood to stalk you throughout the day and you didn't do anything about it. And it becomes really easy for you to become hurt and offended. And if we're not really careful, we can hurt and offend somebody else that's near us because we do that out of our pain. Sometimes we tie our worth to our work, especially men do this. You leave two men together in a room for more than 45 seconds and they're going to know what each other does for a living. It's important to a man. It's just, just it's where we, we draw significance from our work. And I you know, just would caution you not to do that because what happens is when you put all your weight into this is who I am at work and then things don't go well at work, now that starts to devalue you as a person. And you start to see yourself in an unhealthy way and it's just not a good thing to do. And sometimes it can get so bad that we get on what my mama calls the warpath. You ever been on the warpath? The warpath. This is kind of what it looks like. My, I've, my mom's been on the warpath. I've seen her on the warpath. I've been on the warpath. We've all done that. It's, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, it's one of those things where you, you're at work and you're having a bad day at work and just right before you leave, something really terrible happens. Well, now you're ticked off. Your eyebrows are down over your eyes. You know, you've got a mat on like nobody's business. You're on the warpath. You're driving home. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, and you're flashing all kinds of signs and symbols and saying things, and, you know, it's, it's, it gets kind of out of control, and you give them the stink eye. You know, like, don't do that to me. Like, I'm watching you. I see you. You, you, you know, you drive home, and you pull in the driveway, and can't even get to your, your, your driveway because your kids have been out playing and they've strung toys all over the place and you got to get out of the car and move things and, you know, the garbage has been knocked over, the dog's gotten into it, your garbage is all up and down the street, the kids are out playing in the yard, you resent all of it because you're having a bad day. You're on the warpath. And in that moment, what, what do we want to do? We want to pass off the pain. We want to transfer the trauma. We want to shift the struggle to somebody else. We want somebody else to get a little taste of what we're going through. And in our warpath, when we're on the warpath, what happens is we can lash out to other people. And we, what's, what we're experiencing, we can let other people experience in a negative way. And we all handle it kind of different. You know, I, when I do marriages, I, I do marriage counseling, and, and uh, I talk to couples about... Uh, you know, when I do marriages, I'm putting two kinds of people together. You're either a, I mean, there's, this is simplified, but you're either a stuffer or a confronter. How many confronters are in the room? How many stuffers are in the room? Yeah, see? And what happens is they, they seem to find each other. 
Um, which is, now, I just will tell you, I have much more, I have a lot of respect for the confronters. I don't like, con- I, I'm, if you know me, you know I do not like confrontation at all. I don't like it at all. Um, I'm a stuffer. You can hurt me, you can offend me, and you'll never know it. Now, that sounds really spiritual, that sounds really good, but I'm telling you, that's really a bad thing. Because what that is, is it's dishonest. It's this, when you, if you hurt me and you don't know you've hurt me and you say, Brett, did I hurt you? And I say, no, I'm fine. I just lied to you. But that's kind of how I handle it. So what I know is when, if I put two confronters together in a marriage, I, I tell them it's going to be volatile, <laughs> going to be noisy, going to be loud. But you know what? They'll probably make it because they're going to be honest with each other all the time. But can you imagine what happens if you put two stuffers together like me and Dee Dee? Because I can hurt her and she won't even let me know. She can hurt me and she doesn't know. And so we have to work to make sure that we're honest with each other about things. And there's been a few times where, you know, she's, I've hurt her and I don't even know it. So, but then what usually they, it's like hand in glove. Usually a confronter finds a stuffer because the stuffers are just used to putting it down and the confronters are more than happy to let you have it, right? And so... Um, some people just explode when they're on the warpath. Boom! Some people get snarky. Some people have all. Some people got. They got all kinds of words that they use. Other people, like me, they might get a little bit more introverted. They go kind of inside. They they retreat. They get away. They get a, off by themselves with other people. And and that can take on its whole different. You know, that can take on a whole different vibe because you're, you're like, you know, I'm hurt and I'm mad and I'm just going to go back here and, and just pout. I'm going to get over here and just, I'm just going to pout. You know, we're back there about 45 seconds and if, some, if nobody comes to check on us, now we're really ticked off. I've been back here 45 seconds and you guys didn't even care to come check on me, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's kind of how we, we do this. We go through this stuff all the time and if we're not careful it can escalate and it can escalate beyond our control and we can begin to hurt people and we just expect those who care dearly about us to just understand and roll with it and not be hurt by our trauma and we presume upon them and we take advantage of their love we take advantage of the and we oftentimes hurt the people that we love the most when we're in the darkness when you have a bad day, you have to consider those who are nearest you. It, it's w- one of the things I love about Jesus is he doesn't just leave us alone to figure all this stuff out for ourselves. Like he's, he's teaching us. He's, he's showing us. He's got real life lessons for us. Now, sometimes they aren't a whole lot of fun. And I've said this many times in here. The lessons that I've learned the best in my life, the best life lessons I've learned, I did not learn with a smile on my face. I learned through my own stupidity, my own rebellion, I've, I've learned through hardship. I've learned through, through falling on my face where God says, okay, Brett, I'm gonna t- you're going to learn this lesson. I'm going to teach you. You're going to learn, and you'll never forget it. And I'm like, oh, man. And, but that's how it works. And that's generally, that's the stuff I use in counseling. That's the, I take the things that God has taught me about my life from my failures, from my mistakes, from you know sometimes not even anything that I did wrong, but that, that somebody else did wrong. But it, it impacted me. 
And it teaches me a life lesson, and I'm able to use that. So, you know, he gives us scripture, he gives us the church, he gives us the body of Christ, he gives us people to walk with us and instruct us and to impart wisdom and knowledge to us, and we can learn and we can grow in wisdom and we can be better. And Lord, I want to be better. I want to be mature. I want to I go through life and I want to be a light for other people. I do not want to be a battleground everywhere I go. You ever known that person? That person that's just constantly in conflict with somebody or something, they're constantly fighting a battle. It's a battleground for them wherever they go. I want to be a blessing. I want to learn to manage and steward and submit and surrender my life to Christ. That's what I want. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll just tell you about me. Some days I'm more godly than others. You know what I'm talking about? Some days you'd say, is Brett godly today? No, I'm not seeing it. Some days you would not put me under the category of godly. I think that's true of all of us. We, some days we're better at that than others. But here's the thing. Godly is, is not really something that is mine anyway. Godliness is, it, what it, the word godliness actually means from God or for God. From God or for God. And sometimes you would look at us and you go, no, they're not from God today. Or they're not for God today. But that's what I want in my life. I want to be a blessing. In, in my bad day, in my darkness, I want to be able to take care of those that are near me and closest to me in my life. This morning, I want to give you four decisions that we need to be aware of so that we don't take it out on everybody around us, okay? Four things that you just need to be thinking about when you go through dark days. The first one is this, identify the real problem. Identify the real problem. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says it like this in the New Living Translation, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The Bible says that there are some extracurricular spiritual things going on, that in the unseen places there is a war that wages. Okay, now I believe that's true. Now, it's easy to read a verse like this and to go off on some kind and to get a little weird about it. And it's easy to read this and, and, and to see a demon around every corner and a, and a devil under every rock. And that's not what I'm saying. I don't believe life is like that. But, but to, to suggest that there's not a spiritual realm and that there isn't a war going on in that spiritual realm is to suggest, it's to deny what the Bible says because Scripture is really pretty clear about it. That's going on. That we've got something working against us. And to deny that is to really to deny scripture. The devil is constantly trying to separate and divide us from Jesus. You want to know what the number one job of the devil is? That's it. It's to get you away from Jesus. To keep you two as far apart as possible. Because, you know, our, our mission statement here is to bring people to Jesus. Why? Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more your life will change. The one thing that the devil does not want is he does not want your life to change for the good, and so he's going to do everything he can to interrupt our mission statement. And so we've got to be able to slow everything down and remember what's happening around us. Identify the problem. Here's what I mean. Sometimes we make these big blanket statements. We, we use 
and I'm bad about this, we use like absolute language. We use words like always and everywhere and all the time, never. We use these big descriptor words like horrible. How was your day? Horrible. It was just horrible. It really? Was it horrible? Yeah, Brett, it was really bad. I mean, they can, you know, you, you have a bad day at work and you come home to me and you, you say, Brett, my, I had a horrible day at work today. I said, really? Was it horrible? Yeah, it was, it was bad. It was the worst day ever. Really? That's because that's pretty strong language. Bet, worst day ever. Yes. Okay, so on a scale of one to 10, like how bad was your day? It was a 10. N no, Brett, it was a 10 plus. Oh, okay, so, so on the perspective of loss and pain continuum, a 10, you know, so you're saying it was a 10, like it's a life-threatening disease. You know, it's, it's, it's losing a spouse. It's, it's dealing with an addiction. That's what you're talking about, that 10? Well, maybe not a 10, six. Okay, so six, so no, you don't have any transportation. You know, it's, it's the 14th of the month, and you're, you've run out of food, and you don't have any money. That's what you're talking about. You know, you, 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 um, you, you don't have a job. You, you, you've, you've, you're, you might be losing your home. That's what you're talking about? It's like that kind of severity? Well, no, not, not a six. Maybe, a, maybe like a three or a four. Oh, okay, so your hard drive crashed. You, you know, you, you, you just found out you're going to have to relocate and leave your house. You're going to have to go find someplace new to live. Like there's going to be, there's an inconvenience coming for you. That's what you're talking about. Well, no, it's really not, it's really not even that bad, I guess. I mean, so maybe it's like a one and a half. Okay. Okay. So it's not 10 plus. So it's not horrible. It's not the worst, the, the day to end all days. So now, we, 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 instead of making blanket statements, we're down to a one and a half. Okay, so let's lose the drama queen. Okay? Let's stop it with the, the, the overblown language and the, the absolute language. Let's isolate the problem. What is the real problem? You may have been wounded at work. That doesn't mean that you bring your problem home and wound your wife. Okay, that's not okay. Yes, you went through something at work. It was bad. It was hard. It made you mad. That's fine. Deal with it. But don't take that home and take it out on her. Or don't bring it home and take it out on him. Because what you can often do is you can come home from work and you can create a brand new problem that didn't exist because you didn't manage the problem that you had because you didn't isolate it, because it, you made it bigger than it was. The drama queen in you let you make that problem way bigger than it needs to be. You didn't compartmentalize it. You didn't, you know, put the fire out, and then you come home, and that fire is raging, and it catches somebody else on fire. So number two, number one is isolate the problem. Number two, avoid the pity party. Get rid of your drama queen, Okay. Don't send me an invitation to your pity party. I'm not, I don't want to go. And, and I've thrown a few for myself, haven't you? I've thrown a few pity parties for me before. I, I can be pretty good at that. Here's what I've learned. When you throw a pity party, all the wrong people show up. I feel terrible shows up. They, they bring I'm sorry with them. They, they bring people like I don't have any friends and I can't stand you shows up. I mean, it's just, it's no good. Avoid the pity party. Shut it down. Now, we have days are hard. We, have, we go through dark days, no question. 
Many of you right now are going through things. I'm looking out, I see faces of people that I've agreed to pray for, and you told me your story, and I'm like, man, I mean, I, I got an email last night from a good friend, and they were just explaining some of what they'd gone through, and I just feel helpless sometimes to help people like that, but um, I, you know, I'll be praying for you, and I do. When I tell you that I'm going to pray, I do. I pray for you. And, and I know some of you are going through some really painful things, and they're real things, but even in our painful moments, it is not God's will for us to wallow in our self-pity. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says this, cast all your anxiety on him, talking about Jesus, cast it on Jesus, because he cares for you. I tell you this all the time, but it's the truth. God loves you. He loves you. It's probably the hardest thing I have to convince adults of is that God really, really loves you. Cast it on him because he loves you. What do you do when you cast something? You're trying to get it far away from you. When you, when you cast a lure into the water, the goal is to get it as far out there as you can. Or Generally, there's an area you've, you've isolated, but it's not close to you most of the time. If you throw a net out, you're casting the net. You're throwing it away from you. That's what we should do with our cares. He says, cast your cares. The problem is Jesus says if you, if you don't get your cares away from you, Jesus says that your cares will, will grow up and choke out the word of God in your life. That's what Jesus said. So, you know, if we hang on to our cares, if we hold on to them and we don't cast them off on the Lord like we're supposed to, what happens is we begin to coddle our cares. And it's almost like we treat it like a little baby doll. We just hold it close and we nurture it and nurse it and love it. And, oh, you know, it's my care. I, I'm, I'm taking care of it. I'm, I'm holding it close. Jesus says, no, What's, what that is, that's not a baby doll. That's a snake. That's a viper. It's a python, and it's going to grow up, and it's going to choke the word of God out of your life. That's not healthy. That's not any place you want to be as a believer in Jesus where you, you, you're, you're carrying this thing along that has the potential to grow up into something that chokes the word of God out of your life. It'll make you doubt God. It'll make you doubt the body of Christ. You will say things like, there is no grace, there is no healing, there is no hope, and I'm not going to do this anymore. We, 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 we got to cast our cares on the Lord. Listen, we were not designed to carry every pain and every hurt. We try to, but Jesus says that's not good for you. You can't get through life that way. You got to give it to Jesus. You got to avoid the pity party. Number three, live a connected life. Live a connected life. We have a tendency to isolate. We have a tendency to go through things alone. Live a connected life. Stay at the foot of the cross. Jesus is on the cross. Blood is flowing. He's, he's, but he's thinking about Mary and John. He's reaching out to them. He's talking to them. Now, I wouldn't be. I would be focused on me, but I'm not Jesus, and thank God for that, and I think we're all pretty clear on that. But Jesus is different than us. Jesus is looking out, and he sees them, and he's in his pain. He's thinking about their future, and he speaks to them right there. And what he's doing is he's putting family together. He's making sure that they are going to be connected, that as they go into the future, they're not going to be alone. It's really easy to go through things, and in the middle of it, to think to yourself, you know what, I'm the only one that's going through this. 
Nobody else knows what I'm feeling. Nobody else has ever done this. I'm the only person going through this. I'm the only one struggling. I'm the only one that feels this way. But then maybe you go to a life group or maybe you stick around after church and you're talking to a friend and you sit down in one of the pews, you know, and, and you're kind of talking back and forth and, and they start telling you their story and you're like, goodness gracious, I mean, they got it worse than I do. You ever had that where you think your, your problem is really bad and then all this, you talk to somebody else and you find out, wow, they, they're really struggling. Like, I need, I've been praying for me. I need to pray for them. I have a picture on my phone of a little girl who's, who's mentally challenged. And she's looking up at somebody and she's got this smile on her fist. She's like busting out in a big laugh. And it just, every time I see that picture, it, it makes me smile. I just, I don't know who the little girl is. I found it on the internet and I downloaded it because I wanted to be able to see that picture. And what happens is when I'm scrolling through my pictures once in a while, I'll see that one go through and I'll stop almost every time. I'll stop and I'll enlarge that picture. And I'll look at this little girl who has problems that I will never know. And I'll look at the smile on that sweet little face and I'm reminded over and over and over again, Brett, you really do not have any problems. You, you think you do. And you're, you're having your little pity party over here and you're being a drama queen, but look at her. Look at her. Brett, you have no problems compared to that. So buck up and, and let's do a little better than that. I can make it through this. I can make it through this. I'm not the only one. There are other people going through things way harder than what I'm going through. In Acts chapter 10, verse 2, there's a phrase. They're talking about this man, Cornelius, who has a heart for God, and he's trying to figure it all out. And it says in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 2, it says, He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. And there's a little hint there that we get from the life of Cornelius as to how he got through dark days. How did he get through hard times? The, the hint is this. He was generous. He showed generosity. See, when you strip it all away and when you get right down to the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, there really are only two or three things that you, if you just focused on those two or three things, you'd be amazed how easy following Jesus is. And I say it's easy. It goes against our human nature. But at the very core of following Jesus, you find just a few simple concepts. Generosity, humility, and thanksgiving. If you could lock in on generosity, humility, and thanksgiving in your life, you, you, you're 90% to following Jesus, okay? That's what it takes. It's amazing how easy it is for us to go through dark times, and when we do, we get really selfish. Darkness produces selfishness. One of the ways we break out of that is when we're generous to other people. When you're in a dark day, look for somebody to be generous to. When you're having a bad day, go through the drive-thru and pay for the person behind you. You'll feel better. When you're having a bad day, go to the grocery store, find somebody who, who might, looks like they might struggle to pay for their stuff and, and see if you can't somehow take care of that. Go, go I, don't, I mean, it's raining today. Take your umbrella, go to Kroger and just walk with people. Walk them in just, and then go find somebody else. Walk them in. Define, figure out a way to turn your attention on somebody else and not on yourself. 
help other people, it takes the focus off us. One of the ways that, that Cornelius and his family did that was by being generous. It also says that he prayed. He, his mentality, he and his family, they were a pray first family. Remember we talked about that. Pray first. It's not, well, you know, all we can do is pray. No, pray first. Be a person of prayer. Even on my worst day, even in my bad days, my darkest days, I'm going to identify the real problem. I'm going to avoid the pity party. I'm going to uh, live a connected life to God's house. We're going to be generous as a family. We're going to pray first. And then finally, and then I'll close. Number four, look to the sun. Look to the sun. Look to Jesus. We started out today from Hebrews chapter 12, and we said, keep your eyes on Jesus. When I was in college, I learned this particular passage from the New American Standard, and I love the way the New American Standard writes this. I want to read it to you. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The joy, by the way, is you and me. We are the joy of Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So how do we endure? We look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. There is hope and there is healing when you look to Jesus, the Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one most powerful who's able to walk with you and help you. Jesus says, trust me, look to me, I want to help you. I'm with you right now. God says, look, my son went through the darkest day ever. I sent my son to walk through the most horrible darkness that you can imagine to pay for your sins, to walk through your failures with you so that you are not alone. He came to shine a light in your darkness to tell you that there is purpose in your pain. Look to Jesus. There are tons of things in our world that, that are shiny, that, that are calling for our attention, that want to divert our gaze off of Christ. And, and we're all fear, there's all kinds of things. You've got to fight that urge. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus all the time. Let me pray for you as you get ready to walk out uh, that we can do that this week. Lord, don't know what it is, but it is, a, it is a human nature thing for us to have our eyes diverted from you. A lot of competing things, advertising, temptation, uh, lures, traps, loud voices. And Father, Scripture refers to the still, small voice. And we often can't quiet our world or we refuse to quiet our world enough to hear that still, small voice. And our attention goes everywhere sometimes but to you. So, Father, my prayer is that this week we would be better. Help us, Father, this week to see you clearly. That for those of us who are in the darkness, that we would illuminate our darkness by looking to you. Even when everything clamors for our attention, our eyes stay fixed on you. And, Father, as we do that, you're going to call us to minister. You're going to call us to do the things that make us feel better and heal us up and give us hope. And so, Father, we just, in these moments, confess to you. We confess our weakness. We confess our, our inability sometimes, our unwillingness sometimes to keep our eyes on you. And we just ask you to help us. 
Lord, we're thankful for Jesus. Without him, we are completely lost. We have no hope. Because of him, we are victorious. We are, we are champions. And we have a great future ahead of us. So, Father, we're just thankful. We pray these things in Jesus' name.